Welcome to the Mission Life Podcast, where we feature stories of people putting their faith into action. On this episode, I talk to two people who are working in parts of the world that many would consider risky. For this reason, you won't hear us mention exactly where they are serving or what organizations they are serving with. The three of us wanted to simply answer the question, why does God call his people to dangerous places? It's a question all believers need to consider. You'll want to stick around to hear their answers. So let's get started. For me personally and for my wife, it was the realization that we had the training, we had the desire, and we had the call in our heart. How could we say no? We, so we flipped it on that. How could we say no? Welcome to the Mission Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Reams. Audio and show notes from all episodes can be found at jeffreams.com. If you read the Bible, you'll see over and over that God calls his people to take risks. Abram was called to leave his people for an unknown land. Moses, much the same. The prophets were ridiculed and persecuted. All but one of the disciples were killed for their faith. Today, we hear about persecuted believers all over the world. And sometimes people we know follow Christ into dangerous situations. Yet for many of us today, we avoid danger. We assume that calling is for someone else. Or we think they might have misheard God because surely a loving father wouldn't send his children into danger. On a small scale, we have faced this as a church. Last summer, we were set to send a mission team to Germany when a bomb was detonated in Frankfurt just a couple of weeks before our team was set to leave. It naturally shook the team. We talked about the risk, we prayed, we encouraged one another, we gave permission for people not to go. It's understandable. Some, uh, some decided instead to join another team. Others went, and both groups had great experiences. As I look back on that situation, it was a good test for us as a church. It forced us to see the world as it really is, a dangerous place, that God has called his people to enter and serve. It forced us to consider what level of risk we are really willing to take. So why does God call his people to dangerous places? That's our question today and our guests are uniquely qualified to answer. They serve in the Middle East and Europe. One of them lived with their family for a year in Central Asia in a city known for violence and persecution of Christians. But they don't consider their experiences as badges of honor. They're simply obeying the call of Christ to bring the gospel to people who need to hear it and experience it. Let's listen to how they answer the question, why does God call us to dangerous places? Now I must say the sound quality is not the best. I'm not sure what I did, but it sounds like my guests are speaking from the bottom of a barrel for some reason. So please excuse the sound quality. What they have to say is really worth taking in no matter how it sounds. Uh, Brian and Tomla, I'm, I'm grateful that you're here. I look forward to our conversation. Thank you for sharing from your experience so far. Yeah, well, thanks for um, asking us to be here. I am, um, this topic is on my mind a lot, and I think it's a topic that the Western church very much needs to wrestle with. I agree 100%. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this topic today. Well, good. Um, it is an important topic. In fact, I'm going to be in the, during the podcast, I'm going to be referencing a couple of books that I, I recommend at the outset. 
Um, Kate McCord wrote a book called Why God Calls Us to Dangerous Places about her experience in Afghanistan. And uh, I highly recommend anything that she writes. And the second book is by a guy named Nick Ripkin, The Insanity of Obedience. Uh, I highly recommend those books to anybody that might be listening just about learning from obedience in difficult places. Um, but this, this, our conversation today, I don't want the tenor to be, uh, this is about a higher level of faith or it's about super Christians or anything. Fear cover, covers everybody. You know, we all have fear. We all have hesitancy to enter into difficult conversations, difficult situations, or cross-cultural boundaries, even in our own community for different, uh, different issues. Um, so, and sometimes we might be tempted to elevate people based on they've gone to a difficult place or they've left America and they've gone to another country. Um, but secretly, we're glad they got the call and we didn't. <laughs> Isn't that right? Uh, uh, so I want this to kind of be just in general, but we want to get to God's heart. That's my goal in this conversation is that we understand why God calls us and what he's after and how that motivates us and keeps us going. And so I look forward to what you guys have to say about this. Um, but why is this such an important topic? I read a survey recently. They surveyed a thousand megachurches about where they were sending people and where they were going. And only about 1% were going to either the unreached or a difficult place. And I know of only one church. I know uh, one church up in Marietta that will send teams to Iraq. So they, they take mission teams into Iraq. And when you hear that, I've heard the, the pastor talk at a conference about that. You could feel people going, really? <laughs> you send teams to Iraq? So this is an issue that, that, that touches uh, everybody. It touches every church. And when, when we consider where we send teams, where we send out individuals, that safety and security issue. Uh, Jeff, I think you'll issue. remember you and I were attending a meeting together in Central Asia. And someone showed a PowerPoint or a video clip produced by Global Frontiers Missions, and it talked about the resources that the American church um, puts towards those who have no access to the gospel. So we're talking those really in the unreached, unengaged parts of the world, which represents about a third of the population of the world. And the statistic shared Jeff, I think you remember, is that Americans spend more on Halloween costumes for their pets yes. than the U.S. church does on that portion of the global population that has no access to the gospel. Now, that's a sobering statistic. That is. That we spend so much money in our country on Halloween costumes for our pets compared to what we do on that portion of the world that has no access to the gospel. So, yeah. but that dovetails very well into our conversation today about why God calls us to difficult places and then the issue of safety in that conversation. Mm -hmm. Sobering, yeah. it's sobering. Yeah, it really is. So why, why do you think that is? Why, do, why are we so hesitant to go to difficult places? What are some things behind that? Well, I, I definitely think as we stated, the fear is a part of it, and as well as a lack of, of knowledge or understanding. And then there's also the idea of, of um, sometimes, um, as, as a body of believers, not thinking that God would send us to difficult places, or not thinking that we're supposed to necessarily be the one to go. And it's like God is 
calling on us as believers and who's who's going to raise your hand and stand up and get past the idea that um, just maybe uh, God is calling me to be in harm's way for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of reaching the unreached. So I think that's a concept that's kind of sometimes difficult for people to wrestle with. I, they think about, oh, I, I want to, my objective is to stay safe and to stay alive, but as believers in Christ, um, our objective is to uh, spread the gospel, and that's the first and foremost. So I think it's hard to move those, move along those lists of priorities, our lives being, of course, um, number one in many ways, in many cases. How does our theology play into that? Because as I heard you talking, Tom, I'm thinking, at least in our context, we interpret safety and blessing as God's favor. You know, that if it's difficult, then God must not be in it or he's calling us to do something else. Yeah, I don't know, Jeff. I, I don't know where in our history and in our theology we've got this so mixed up. It, we just have. We've gotten it mixed up that we've put... Uh, safety and health and prosperity, even though we say we don't follow a prosperity gospel, and we don't, but we've got things mixed up in that we've got this somehow in our heads that, that God's in this if it's safe and if it's prosperous, and then He's not in it if it's not safe, and that's just not the truth, but somehow we have it mixed up. Hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important for us for, from the outset here to say when God calls you to dangerous places, certainly your physical well-being could very well be in danger. That's reality. But I think we also have it mixed up in our mind that, that yes, you're called to a dangerous place, so absolutely 100% something bad is going to happen to you. That's not reality either. Just like you going on vacation, wherever it might be, in, in any tourist place, you could very well be in danger from an accident or something horrible happened. But for some reason, we have it mixed up that absolutely, 100%, if I go to a so-called dangerous place, then something bad is going to happen. That's not reality. We don't see on the news day in and day out of, of M's around the world getting killed getting injured or anything. That's just not the truth, but we do believe it. We have it sunk in our head that that is going to happen. And I don't know if it's the news cycle, the 24-7 news cycle, what we see on the news, the negative things we see on the news about these difficult places around the world that has us believing those things that just aren't true. So yes, maybe I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth when I say but the reality is something could happen. Absolutely. I've had friends and colleagues where the most horrible thing has happened. They have died in service to the kingdom. That is truth. That is reality. But at the same time, it just doesn't happen in the percentages that we believe that they're happening. And I think also that just kind of writing off that point is this is something that, especially as I was preparing to leave initially, was the first thing that came out of people's mouths, especially close friends and family, like, are you going to be safe and and so forth. And, and again, my point is always, again, I, you know, I could, something could happen to me on the way to the Starbucks or, you know, on the way to the grocery store in the park. I mean, there's, there, there is the risk of, of, of difficult things happening or dangerous things happening wherever we are. But I don't see how you can read about the early church, the early Acts church. And you know how their stories end, especially, um, 
all of the all of the apostles um, and except for maybe one that we know but the point is that um, they all died pretty horrible deaths and and it was nothing against who they were obviously it was it was again a high price to pay in the calling but again i think that we can't we can't ignore the fact that when we look at the early church and what the bible shows us is true is that again um difficult things can happen and it can cost you to the point of your life but at the same time um um, as you said earlier brian um that doesn't mean that bad things are going to happen because you're in a difficult place Um, so our, our theology definitely plays into it, um, you know, from a sort of administrative level, from an organizational level, there's a higher cost. You know, if I'm looking to send somebody into some parts of the world, it's just more expensive. And, and the fruit, it's, it's, high, it's not low-hanging fruit. Is that, how does that play into it? Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that phrase. We use that phrase a lot, low-hanging fruit. And... Um when we look at the places in the world where the gospel has made the least penetration, it's also the places where we've spent the least amount of money and the least amount of human resource. Um, but when we look at, so we want to talk about bang for the buck, if we want to look at it as a, um, a business type terminology, now in places that we might say are easier to go, do we need to use our resources in those places as we did in the past? Because now Praise the Lord, he has put churches there, and workers have been there, and there are believers who can spread the gospel there. So are our resources better spent in these so-called more difficult places because the gospel has not taken hold there, and there are not public believers, maybe they're underground believers, in the sense of where they are in these easier to reach places. And I don't want to pick on countries and I, maybe it's not safe, maybe it's not wise just to start naming countries, but places in South America or in Central America or in Africa where, praise the Lord, yeah, the gospel has taken hold and there are churches, national churches, with members who speak the right language and the right accent and they can do these things in much better ways than we can do them. Is it okay now? And I would say that it is for us to say, Let's pray for them, bless them. If they need some financial resources, we do help them out. But perhaps sending personnel to these places where the so-called more dangerous places, they're no longer low-hanging fruit places, sending them there is a better use of our resources. And so I, my argument is, yes, it is better bang for the buck. Even though you're not going to see mass numbers of baptisms, you're not gonna see mass numbers of churches being formed and planted, and it just requires us to talk in these terms. You know, when, when someone says, hey, I looked at your organization's baptism numbers for the last 10 years and they're on a declining scale. What's happening? Why aren't you baptizing more people? Well, gone are the days when you show up and the whole village shows up and they hear the gospel and conversions happen and mass baptisms happen. So those are wonderful things and we should celebrate that those happened 10, 15, 20, 100 years ago. That's not the reality in... Asia, the Middle East, and Central Asia. That's just not the reality. And so there are going to be decreased numbers of baptisms. Does that mean we're not getting the bang for our buck? I say no. I don't. I don't buy that. Am I? Am I? No. I'm. I'm, I'm with you 100. percent right. I agree. Yeah. I think there has to be a reprioritizing um, in the body of Christ, and especially at the administrative level. Understand getting people um, to see the value and the necessity and 
and also the yielding and surrender that has to go with that this idea that this is a distant place and um you know we'll, we'll pray for them but we only throw a little few pennies at that objective i think that that is one of the things that is passionately driving what i do and what i have done this last year um being away is that i want people to um, see themselves in the context of okay this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be connecting with people who are not like me more as much as or, or more than I connect with the people that I'm comfortable being around, people who are like me, people who are believers like me. And getting past this concept um, is just something that I, I, I feel like I have uh, been able to uh, kind of send that message to the people in my life and around me. And I'm always telling them, again, I love that you started off by saying we're not doing the super Christian thing just because we were sent away. I am one that believes that right next door to you um, are the people that um, God is trying to reach and you are part of that process. And again, they may not do things the way you do, but um, I also feel believe in the necessity for a, a lot more cross-cultural training and exposure um, in the body of Christ. and. Um, understanding that again getting past this idea that this concept is foreign you know like no it's very close to god's heart so it's it's not as much foreign as it is um um grounding us grounding ourselves in, in who god has called us to be brian you, you touched on something about um sort of the indigenous church in a lot of countries the majority of of christians are now living in the southern hemisphere and they're starting to send workers uh, I know where when I went and visited you, Tom, I met somebody from Central America, you know, was amazed. So sometimes we have the attitude that other people can go. Other people can do this. I, I read a stat by the traveling team that said there's one worker for every 216,000 unreached people in the world. But there are 78,000 Christians for every unreached people group mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah. Um, now, we don't know about indigenous workers or things that don't get counted, but just generally, generally I would say that feels right and it, it, it seems accurate. Um, we're also a very ins insurance-oriented society. We get insurance for everything. Um, so, you know, I, I know sometimes I wrestle with what is our role, you know, if, if majority church is now in the southern hemisphere if they're starting to send workers you know we've led the way for so many years in america and we've thought of ourselves as the leaders um does, does that play into this conversation at all about our role is, is the you know is the attitude now that you run into sometimes other people can go i hear about all these churches in other countries you know i think that is the attitude of some i my my take on it is there's always going to be a place for uh, western christians um, to serve and to be used in the advance of the gospel. Now, do we need to rethink how uh, Western Christians are used in that sense and how our dollars are used in that sense? Um, you know, I sit here, at, you know, as a middle-aged white man, clearly I don't blend in that easily in some places in Central Asia. And I've seen my brothers and sisters who come from Central America and other places in Asia blend in much more easily. So for example, when we lived in Central Asia, I couldn't use the public transportation system. Now, I need to say there was very little public transportation system, <laughs> but there was, there was yeah. one. Um, a sweet sister of mine um, comes from a Hispanic background. She is American, but comes from a Hispanic background. 
Um, with a head covering, she could blend in and she could use the public transportation system because of the way God made her in a way that uh, me and my wife could not do so. So in some ways, um, she could be more engaged in that sense in the public than I could be. So I know without a doubt there are um, that God is using the believers that have been called out of the Southern Hemisphere, as you described it, Jeff, in a way that I might not be able to, to be used. But at the same time, I know that God can and still does use those of us who are called out you know, of a Western context in that sense. But reprioritizing, I love the way Tom will put that mm-hmm. earlier, how we use our resources, where we send people, what we're going to do with the way God has blessed us as a, I mean, come on, we're still a very, the church in the West is still very, very, very wealthy compared to the church in the rest of the world. How are we taking that seriously? And that, I, I look at it as a responsibility. Is it, how is God going to look at the way we have used the resources that he's, and I'm talking collectively as the Western church. Mm-hmm. And, and we also like to be hands-on with our mission efforts. And so we're going to pick a place or a partner that allows us to send people or, you know, and especially, you know, you get photos of, like you hinted at earlier, Brian, of just hundreds of people who come to the Lord. We feel like I can bang for the buck and we can send our people and there's a personal engagement. Sometimes when you get involved in these areas, you can't speak about them from the stage. You can't send people there. And it's it doesn't appeal to that sort of consumer mindset sometimes we have in church about this experience that I want to have. We want to create, I know as staff, we want to create experiences for people, you know, want them to walk away feeling good about it, but you go and you're, you're, you know, it's not always that way. So, well, even now we're, we're being really careful with the words we use and the places and the names that we say, because we're mindful of this danger. That's kind of our thing that we're talking about here that, that social media can bring. And so, yeah, folks also want to come and they want to be able to fill their Instagram feed and their Twitter feed and their Facebook feed. And then they come to me and I say, oh, no, I can't. That can't happen. I can't allow you to use my name and my face and this location we're in because of the fact that it could put me and local believers and other workers in harm's way. And so it's, it's just about educating. We have to help help the Western Church, help educate. And I love that about the team that joined us um, and came to work with us out of this fellowship. They were very receptive to the teaching when it came to social media, and they were very receptive to the understanding that their coming to join us was to help propel our work and to put us in good standing and good footing for what God was calling us to do there. And yes, Lord willing, they would get to share the gospel and be able to do things like that. But it didn't mean that there were going to be mass conversions or mass baptisms while they were there. Now, if the Holy Spirit blesses and that happens, praise the Lord, but be prepared that that is not going to be the case when you're engaging some of these most difficult people groups. I'm sure your experience is the same. It is the same. And something um, that kind of drives me in in my hope is that... um, that in connecting with um, the various people groups that I have an opportunity to, that they see um, me as a believer valuing them for who they are, not just um, um, a blank face on a blank page. I mean, these are individuals that um, God loves 
and uh, and he expresses his love in ways that are unique to who they are and as a culture and being respectful of, of that process. Again, like you say, um, the things that you're going to see are the results um, and what drives you um, as a believer in those difficult places um, are, are different outcomes. Like I said, we don't you don't necessarily see um, and you won't see the necessarily public confessions of faith, but you know that um, the, the Holy Spirit is working and, and connecting you um, as believers and so I think for me what 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 brings me a lot of joy when I when I can't see um, necessarily the what we are used to seeing as payoffs is the knowledge that um, I am in place to do what God would have me to do and that I'm encouraging others back home to do the same to be in place where they are and I think those are those are baby steps sometimes and that process um, is a is a come to kind of come to meeting with Jesus and who he's calling you to be individually in your own home and in your own community and I think in many ways that's even harder you know because you you can when you move in familiar circles you don't always um, see the people around you it's easy to just kind of put them in the canvas of your life but I think he's calling I think he's calling for an engaged church in this modern time and I think that um, the images that we uh, see and the things that we portray to other cultures as we encounter them are so valuable to helping us understand um, what is what is Christ's objective and what is he calling the modern church to be. And I just think engagement is so important. And engaging people, again, who, who are not the people that we're comfortable or that have very different ways and means of doing things. And that's something that I've been able to join in um, as someone working in a different place. And um, and that's been really something very unique, especially when I think about um, the different holidays that I, I get to join in on that are not necessarily holidays that I celebrate, but the people groups around me that respond to that and respond to me um, joining in and understand and taking the time to get to know them as individuals and not just oh, as this people group or as this religious group. I think what I'd like to add to what Tom says there is, and I really liked how she put it, but we've got to get it wrapped in our head that I'm not the one that does the converting. I'm not the one that does the saving. I can only be obedient. And my my obedience is in my mind is no different than someone who lives in the states full times and they're obedient. So if you're out at the market shopping or if you're at a, a parent meeting and there are internationals around you or even Americans around you who are not believers and God has called you to speak to that person, to befriend that person, to in some way share the love of Christ with that person, that is no different than me being obedient to do that where I am. And I think somehow somehow we've got it in my mind that it's my job to do that conversion. I, I have to, you know, present the gospel in a four-point plan or however I do it, a Roman's road to salvation. And then because I do that, they're going to be converted. That's not truth at all. That It is God's work to, to convict, and it's God's work. It's the Holy Spirit's work to show sin in that person's life and their need for a Savior. Now, my work is to be obedient in what God has called me to do to share when he tells me to share and to speak when he tells me to speak, maybe not speak when he tells me not to speak. But somehow we've got to get that correct in our thinking that that's the case whether I'm on Walmart and Ashford Dunwoody Road 
or if I'm in a dark place, if I'm in a dangerous place. That's the truth and that's the reality. God is the one who does the saving. Doesn't that, I think sometimes that we want to be, we want to hide behind that and then, okay, then I don't have to share. That's not truth either. We absolutely must share and we must be obedient in each and every one of those situations. And then that's the environment that the Holy Spirit just comes yeah. out. I love that because I think that happens perfect because again, we go back to like talking about fear and fear of dangerous places. And I think also there's this other thing, there's this market fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to, again, bring it back to the point, case in point that again, it's not you that that person is rejecting, it's, it's Christ. And so being obedient to the, what you know, the Holy Spirit is telling you to do and telling you to say and telling you to do again, active engagement, I think is is essential um, when you're talking about um, um, you know the Great Commission in that way. I wish I had gotten it corrected in my mind years ago that when someone rejects what I say to them regarding Jesus or regarding Christianity, it is not a rejection of me. If I had gotten that correct in my head a long time ago, some of my fears of sharing and being obedient in those situations would have just gone away much sooner. I think that now I see that, okay, they may not be interested in what I'm saying. They may not, they may not want to follow Christ. That's fine. That's not a rejection of me. I've also just learned, especially when you're engaging people who come out of Islam, people who are, are Muslims, when you're engaging people of that background, they're much more willing to talk about something religious than we are as Westerners. They don't have this taboo of that topic. You know, we have this kind of rule, don't talk about politics and don't talk about religion. That's not the case in the Muslim world. And it's they, true. They were will. in fact, you're kind of weird if you don't. Exactly, and that was something that I, was something I had to adjust to fairly quickly in my first year experience in the Middle East. Um, I don't know why, for for a moment, I, I, I didn't, it was something that I, I, I did hear early on that, you know, talk religious. It's very relatable for them. In fact, you want, you know, people that you're engaging in that community to know that you are spiritual, to know that you're religious. And and that um, that was something that I, you know, again, you don't just, in, in this culture, you don't just come out and blast that in, 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 in all types of situations. But in that situation, it's expected. And I was able, I was even taught to, you know, be ready with the Shema statement that stated, you know, what I was doing here when people asked, you know, and, and, and my Shema statement was always, you know, um, you know, I'm a teacher sent here by God to honor him and give him glory through my teaching talents and through the, my connections with my um, Muslim neighbors, students and friends. And and that was just, again, right out putting it out there. And that was actually something that opened really unique doors for me to talk about, you know, my relationship and, and, and give opportunities to witness. And, and again, like you said, you I, there were situations where I'd be sitting around with a family and I would be asked about, well, why do you believe this? And why do you think this? And I'm like, wow, thank you. Well, God, thank you for these opportunities. These doors are opening. But it had to start with me um, acknowledging uh, right away, you know, who I was. And, I, I, and again, it was expected. You know, they're, they're kind of surprised when you don't. So mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and with that, with this talk about obedience, so sometimes we can say, well, there's so many, so many uh, needs here. You don't have to go to that difficult place. I'm sure you maybe got that before you were going. But you, you don't have to go. There's so much work left to do here. Why do you have to go to that place and put into that to that dangerous place? So what made you what made you willing to go? Yeah, Jeff, I 
I appreciate you bringing that up. I, all of us who have answered the call to one of these more difficult places have we've faced that question and people ask that. For me personally and for my wife, it was the realization that we had the training, we had the desire, and we had the call in our heart. How could we say no? We, so we flipped it on that. How could we say no? When the reality is there are um, many who are not in a position to say yes that they can go. For whatever life situation God may have brought them, they're going to be in a Western context. They're going to be in the U.S., and they cannot say yes. And therefore, they can engage those that God has brought here. So yes, the world has come to America without a doubt and has come to Europe. And Americans and Europeans who are not able to go, they have then the task of engaging those that God has brought here. But when it came time for my wife and I to answer that question, we couldn't say, no, we won't go and we'll stay here and engage those who are here because we know there are many, many, many others who ha don't have the ability to say yes to go for whatever the reason might be. It might be God has brought them a difficult situation with health. They're, they need to be here to care for aging parents. They need to be here to care for a special needs child. For whatever that reason, they're not able to say yes. They are the ones then that we know God can God can use here. When, it, when he's given us the ability, the health, the training, the background, whatever, to say yes and to say yes to that call. So that was our impetus, and we knew that we had to say yes to that call in our life. My wife and I were both engaged in what we thought were what God had us doing here, and in great ministry, and 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 we think successful here. But that did not negate our need to say yes to His call. Well, and, and that process for me was transformative. Um, because I, I was, it's, I have always wanted to work um, in the foreign field, and I've always wanted to have those opportunities. But I remember thinking um, that that opportunity would lead me to a certain place because I had a certain set of skills, like you said. And I didn't know that um, in as much as I was being um, called to go to a difficult place, that that also meant relying heavily on on the 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 transformative power of the Holy Spirit to equip me in that unique situation because I I, I remember thinking why would you go somewhere where I don't know the language and why would you why would you send me somewhere where um, the people are are not I'm not familiar or the cultural differences um, would be so remarkable so for me that was a it was a constant yielding and understanding that I have a position waiting on you and yes you do have a certain set of skills again being a teacher that allows you to um, immediately be accepted into this culture because where I'm where I am there is a great need for English instruction and English teachers and quality English teachers so that right away again I didn't know that that will be the case that I would be going to teach initially when I answered the call um, to go but I understood, but understanding that that immediately allowed a doorway for me, and so that process became a process, okay, of literally trusting God to provide the rest with the language and the um, the opportunities to learn how to um, navigate that culture that's so unique and different. I want to ask if you agree. God gives us the grace when we need it. Also, you know, I think I look back when 
when my wife and I first got married, I didn't I didn't think God would equip me to be a father. I didn't think I had the grace and patience. And sometimes I maybe I feel like I still don't. But when our kids came along, then I saw that God gave me the grace that I needed to be a father and to to hopefully lovingly raise these children with grace and patience. But when we arrived in in Central Asia, I saw God just give us the grace that we needed and the love for this people. We had that before we left, but then it came on even greater. Yes, and absolutely. talking to some of our family here, we've really seen it. While they're believers and they they get the idea that we have to to share and go to difficult places, they don't have the same grace for this same people group that we do. And I know that in my heart, I don't have the same grace and love for the people group that Tamala serves that I do for the people group that I serve. And that's just what God has given me. And that may mean at a different time in life, though, I may, he may call me to a different place and then he'll give me the grace and love for it. I love that you yeah. said that because that's exactly kind of what happened. I remember it was, it was something that, um, that love that came and again, that grace, because there were a lot of gaffes, you know, in the beginning, um, as I learned to kind of navigate the culture and there were a lot of protective protocols that were totally spiritual and totally uh, a blessing that that God used in those moments when I was um, initially inserted into the culture and then I did find surprisingly um, just this abundance of of love that came on the way to you know on the way Um, but I believe that it started with the obedience part of saying yes to the call and then again that depositing of grace that that was daily coming um as you as as i served and as i know as i will continue to serve and that's something that um brings me a lot of confidence going back into it mm-hmm. uh, because i was able to see that grace at work and i was able to receive it as well as give it out yeah. so. and I, to bring that to local context here in the states i think god gives you the grace when you're obedient to to share, to reach out to someone who may be different than you. Uh, I think of a buddy of mine who was shopping one day at Walmart in Denver, and he said he saw this guy standing there really struggling to read the labels and pick out what he needed, and he just kind of spoke to him and said, hey, can I help you out? And in just about a 10-minute conversation, they had some things in common. They shared phone numbers, got together the next week at a local Starbucks and had coffee. And then God just gave him opportunities to bless this man and to speak into his life um, because he was willing to, in that moment, insert himself and say, hey, do you need some help? God gave him the grace to do that, gave him an opportunity, and now we'll see what happens and how God may use that to grow his kingdom. And so that would be my encouragement is even if you're just shopping or you're at the kid's ball game, um, ask God, quick prayer, God, give me the grace, give me the words to say, and just open yourself up to do it and see what God will do in that situation. And that's what I think, too, is something that I, I always think and I always share with my friends because they tell me things like, oh, you know, you're brave and, oh, I, um, I'm so encouraged. There's nothing I can do. And I'm like, that's not true. Your job is to be ready to respond. Uh, you know, I, I say, you know, the Holy Spirit is very smart and he knows, you know, what what he can set you up for. You know, he's, you know, and you may think, well, I'm being set up for a strike, but maybe you're being set up for a three, you know, how many pins on a 
Sorry, that just I, I digress. You cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make a bowling reference, and I can't even ten pins, right? Ten pins. I'm yeah. thinking maybe you see, maybe he's setting you up for a four out of you know four out of ten, and you're thinking like I want a whole strike. Hmm. But being ready to respond is just really important. And I think when you when you're when you set your mind that way, knowing that God is gonna support you, that He's got grace in place, He's got the support protocols in place, whether it's just you know. Um, giving you the, the the right moment you know passing off coffee or an opportunity to buy someone coffee like you said there's he's 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 the thing is that he wants most is your willingness to respond your readiness to respond yeah now now fear is a natural reaction and this is not about pushing aside our fear this conversation but at the same time i'm sure that you interpret danger and risk differently now uh, than you used to, and uh, and help us understand that your take on that, but also and and then also maybe as a follow up, when is fear from God, and when is fear from the enemy? You know, help us to interpret because we all have fear, and sometimes fear keeps us from things that we should be afraid of. You know, so you know, do you interpret differently? Help us understand uh, maybe how we can see where fear is really coming from. Maybe a big question. I had Tom and I just kind of stare at each other. That is a big question, and there is the—that's the crux of the issue here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that's not an easy question to answer. I would say, yeah, I do look at fear differently in some ways. I think in some ways my eyes have been opened um, to the reality of how dangerous the world can be, and that there are individuals who do want to do harm to me and to my family you know because of who we are and what we say we're doing and what we do that is reality um, when you live in a um, in a country that is not predominantly Christian or does not come from a, a long-standing history of judeo-christian um, background and culture there's an oppression that is that is reality that is the spiritual darkness that exists in those places it is palatable and you know it there were times when we felt that our shoulders were being pressed down because of that darkness now some of you listening might not be comfortable with that and you might think that's some kind of hocus pocus or that that's the truth as i know it tomla shaking her head i am shaking my head because that is that is the reality and i tell people that you know um as I go different places um, where I am working, you know, the, the air actually changes. You yes, know, when you go to the places that where there are uh, majority believers, you feel the difference. And coming home, I remember thinking like, wow, I, I was blown away because I felt like I don't have to like power pack up, you know. I don't mm. have the superhero put the, my my put my superhero suit on today because it's just we are so blessed in in, in these United States to be in a country that is open and where you are um, free to be a believer and um, and so and and again, this is not to say that this isn't that I'm not that where I am. But again, you talk about that level. Of oppression, it is very real, and I like how you put it that it you it is something that you are um, faced with, and that 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 is a different kind of fear. You are aware that there are forces at work, and that um, those forces um, are not there to do you any good, 
and you have to contend with those. And I think that, you know, that is something that just becomes a reality for where you are. You you do, there, there are moments of fear, but at the same time, you are, you are reminded of who you are and whose you are, and that you are, you are given weapons of warfare in that sense. Um, I think this is where we also have to change the conversation and talk about how, how can the Western church be a part of this? So I'm gonna get to an example. We would get emails, and then once we were out of Central Asia where we could get better mail and so forth that was not so dangerous to receive mail, we would get notes from folks here in Dunwoody saying, we're praying for you. We, we were in the prayer room praying for you today, or our family prayed for you today. And that is how that oppressive spiritual nature is overcome, is by the prayers of the saints, prayers of the people here in the West, praying for us, praying God's protection over us, praying that when opportunities are given, um, we do speak up and we say what God wants us to say in those situations. And so trying to change this conversation into, yes, there is fear, and yes, there is appropriate fear. I mean, we have to walk wisely in these places. We're not walking, you know. I'm not called to stand on the streets of Atlanta with a placard with John 3.16 on it and those things. Some men are and women, and I'm not bashing those people who do. I'm not called to do that in Atlanta, and I'm certainly not called to do that in Central Asia. I'm not called to do that in the Middle East. That's just not going to be the reality. Um, so we have to walk in wisdom where when we are in those places, but we also have to walk holding the hands of our brothers and sisters in the West who are praying for us to overcome not only that fear, but also overcome that darkness. And we're not sitting here trying to say there is no fear, and we're not trying to sit here and say that there is no danger. That is reality. Um, But we walk in the power of God, and we walk holding the hands of our brothers and sisters who are holding us up. Yes. And and Tom, you're preparing to go back. So is the experience of going back, uh, I'm, I'm sure it's very different than the first time. So just give us a little take on that. Well, again, it it helps that I know where I'm going and it helps that I know um, the people that I'm going to get to reconnect with. And um, so I take a I take back with me a new knowledge that people group. And um, so the fear or the idea of fear and danger for me um, are much more different than they were when I initially went, because people have many preconceived notions about danger and and what it what it is like to live in um in the in the place where i'm going however um that fear for me is not the same because i've learned and i've been in the culture uh you know for a year and i've experienced the culture for a year and i so so the 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 fear is not the same there but there are fears and but they're different they're Mm -hmm. more of a spiritual nature in the sense that um how do I do um, exactly what God would have me to do? Mm-hmm. And I know, again, um, I go back to being ready to respond when I think about that fear because it's like, well, I, I don't, I want to, um, you know, do my best for you and I want to be, again, I want to use wisdom in my engagements, but at the same time, um, I want to be, um, 
I want to be uh, brave in my desire to do exactly what you have me to do, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the kind of kind of mental thing that's happening. But again, um, I go with a lot of joy um, and excitement. Again, to to reengage this culture that has become very familiar, and again, these people that I have come to love. I'd like to say here, you know, fear of the unknown is is a big driving fear and for all of us that's the case whether it be whatever you're experiencing here in the states or getting on a plane and flying into the Middle East or Central Asia and now Tomlin getting ready to go back some of those unknowns are no longer unknowns they're knowns Um, and so being able to deal with other fears that come she's not dealing with those same ones she dealt with the first time going out because now those are knowns and in some ways I wish we could bottle what we've experienced and share that with our our believing friends here in the state so that they could also have those unknown fears dissipate because i think so much of our family and friends and and relationships here in the states they still carry those fears for us because they haven't experienced the way we've experienced and so so those are still unknown fears um and i there's just no way even though you can show lots of pictures and tell lots of stories there's no way they can experience the sights, the sounds, the smells, the sitting in a living room. For us, it was usually sitting on the floor drinking tea and the relationships that were built. And it's all of those things that help dissipate those fears, those one-on-one relationships, those faces that we have that help us get rid of those fears of the unknown. And we recognize that it's hard for us to package that in such a way that our friends and family here can allow those unknown fears to to go away mm-hmm. yeah well i think it gets as, as i listen to you guys talk i think sometimes we interpret our feelings as truth and um i know that in my own experience 90 probably 90 percent of what i've been afraid of has never turned out as bad as i thought it was going to be uh and i can even remember the night the first night we moved into the apartment so i'm moving into dunwoody right across the street and i'm thinking to myself what have i done what have i brought my family into? what have i drug my kids into this is dunwoody this is not going to central asia or the middle east and i'm thinking what have i done well a month later i was like you adjust and you make a lot of adjustments and uh and people back home have to adjust to where you are and and what you're doing but even on a small scale or what seems like a small scale it's it's an act of obedience and uh um and and i know what that that can seem like um i'll read a quote from nick uh, ripkin from insanity of, of, of obedience he says your fear is the greatest tool you will ever give to satan so he's talking about what's really at stake here because sometimes i underestimate what's really at stake by me staying in my comfort zone. Um, and he, he says, but overcoming your fear is the greatest tool against Satan. So being able to step out in faith, you know, the enemy wants to keep us afraid, keep us in our comfort zones, keep us isolated, not speak, not engage. So I'll get back around to that some other day. Somebody else will go up to that guy in Walmart. He doesn't want to be bothered. All these things enter our, enter our heads that kind of keep us. But what's really at stake is access to Jesus. There are hundreds of millions of people who have no access and to I, Christ, and, and he might be sending some people in there. I'll just add here, if you don't know who Nick, Rip, <clears throat> Nick Ripkin is, or if you've not read this book, uh, The Insanity of Obedience, or his book before that, Insanity of God, there's also a DVD movie out of The Insanity of God. I highly recommend it. This man knows what he's talking about. He 
he and his wife um, and his family served in North Africa and then particularly into Somalia. And so his experience in um, that very difficult country, and he talks very openly about it, um, is this man knows what he's talking about when he's talking about fear and overcoming it. And you allowing yourself to be gripped by fear in whatever the situation is, is this tool in Satan's hand. And so um, I would recommend <clears throat> anything that Nick has written and uh, encourage you to go out and find it and read it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's look at this. You know, We've looked at this from our perspective, but let's spend a few moments on uh, why God sends us to difficult places. I think we could probably maybe think we can fill in those blanks. But when I imagine a loving father and as a loving dad, Brian, you know, from one dad to another, mm -hmm. sending my children into what I know is a dangerous place. Jesus said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And let's not forget that. Um, and, and in Kate McCord's book, Why God Calls Us to Dangerous Places, she, she calls upon the, the parable of the wedding feast mm -hmm. and a father preparing a feast for his son. And he sends out servants and the servants say, I don't want to go. And he says, sends them back out and says, grab anybody you can. Go out to the highways and the byways and pull in the, the crippled, the lame, the outcast. Go to the folks that nobody else wants to go to and bring them in. And for her, where she was in Afghanistan, that parable brought her a lot of comfort knowing that God loves everybody the same, and He wants to fill His table. So, yeah, Jeff, let me talk about that for a minute yeah, if I can. Please. So, I very vividly remember the conversation I had with my mother and telling her what God had called us to do and where He was sending us. And that, yes, I was taking her grandchildren to that country. And she didn't say anything, but so some tears started rolling down her face, and hopefully, I won't cry as I retell this story. <clears throat> So I kind of let her sit with the information for a minute and try not to say anything. And then I just reminded her of who she and my dad had raised me to be and the kind of believer that they had raised us to be and that um, it really couldn't be too big of a surprise that we would be willing to say yes, even to a dark and dangerous place. And I think when, when we really wrestle with the Scripture, when we really wrestle with what the Bible teaches us that it's all there. The truth is there. That's what the Great Commission is about. We talk about, um, the Bible gives us a, a few clues about the end of time. It tells us that Jesus is not going to return until all people have had an opportunity to hear. So when we talk about these unreached people groups, unengaged people groups, they've not been engaged yet, they've not heard yet then we know the end of time is not happening. I'm not saying it's not near. I don't know when it's coming. None of us know when it's coming. But the world has to hear the news before the end of time comes. And we are not the keepers of the gospel. We're not the ones who say, you should get shared with, you should get shared with. We're not the ones who make the conversion decisions. We just have to be obedient and to going. And so the hard places are still in that list. It doesn't say just go to where it's easy. Just, oh, you just need to go single female where you don't have to cover your head. Go to where, it, there's nothing in the scriptures about that. It just tells us to go. And that's hard. I know it is. Tomla's shaking her head at me. It is hard. Well, just because, again, the same conversation with my father, who is a gifted, you know, Bible teacher. And so, and of course, as he was making his arguments about all the reasons why he thought I shouldn't go, I, I, like you said, I reminded him, you know, 
I am I am who you taught me to be. <laughs> and this is what, you know, you raised me to believe. And who am I? Who are we to think God would not put us in harm's way to reach whoever he wants to reach? And of course, he loves us and it doesn't take away. But again, and I just I'm reminded by something that I, as I was talking with a missionary who's worked long time in um, Central America, you know, this is kingdom business. And in many ways, like a chess game, um, God is uh, setting us uh, those up that again that He can use, because because again He understands, you know. I was I'm in a place where I can go, and we talked about that. Some people are not in places that they can go, but those He can move, those He can use, He will. And I do believe that's a big part of why I am going back, and why um, over half the other teachers that joined me last year are going back is that we understand that um, this is God doing what he is seeing fit to do in terms of setting people up in places where he needs us to be and so I think that again you know I, I understand um, my father's fears and the fears of my friends and I do what I can to calm those fears but at the end of the day I want them to know that again who are we to think you know, we are not meant to go to dangerous places as much as we are to go to the easy ones. And just to swing it back around to the, again, the, the, the prioritizing of the church and in terms of missions, when we're talking about where we send people, it's important to think about, okay, when we go to the place where we've been going for many years and there are well-established people there planted, um, does the majority of our resources need to keep going to those things? And I think it's a difficult question because we always want to be in the places that help us feel encouraged in our walk with, with, the, with Christ. But at the same time, we have to be aware that uh, God is calling us to do a unique work and he's calling us to be engaged in places and in ways that um, are going to um, bring about his objective for for the church. I'd like to add, because we both talked about our parents and our conversations with our parents to, you know, and parents who are listening to this to, to begin praying about how you will react if your children come to you and say, God has called me to a difficult place. And as a parent myself, I, I understand that and I, I know and Lord willing, one day I will have to wrestle with that conversation. But if that happens to you and your children, um, begin praying now how you're going to react. Sometimes it is families and parents, especially grandparents who don't want to see grandkids go to these difficult places. It is their negative responses that can be, um, that can impede a family from from moving and and even from believing families and it's a real struggle and I've heard from uh, colleagues of ours that have that don't have supportive families of how difficult it is to get on that plane when the families are not so it's hard enough when the families are supportive okay let's just be frank it's hard enough when the families are supportive when the family is not supportive it it's it's just really a bad situation mm -hmm. so I'm encouraging you out there just to Pray about that if that happens to your family. I really like what Brian just said about um, parents being having prepared hearts or, or being pre prepared to respond to um, children coming and saying that I feel called to either live, work in difficult places. 
And I think that's really important because um, one of the things that I noticed right away after I started preparing to go was, and after I went was my own niece saying things like, oh, I want to uh, work somewhere um, difficult or, or be a foreign worker. And I remember my dad saying, oh, you know, you've got to talk to her because she's already taking on your wandering creed kind of thing. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I was like, it's funny because it, I remember growing up and always hearing, you know, like, you know, we're in the end times and, and understanding. And I would always think, well, why would you be surprised if this is the case that we are in the, the, what you perceive as the end times, why would God not be calling uh, those who are able-bodied and young and equipped to go and do things for him in hard places on a greater scale. So I think we're, we are, I think that's so important what you said because we are going to see that more. We are going to see uh, more, I believe, uh, people um, get graduating from college and being prepared to go foreign places and go into hard fields um, to do what uh, God is calling them to do. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, I grew up with stories of, of missionaries. You know, mission education was from, you know, from when you were in kindergarten or below all the way up. And we had um, missionaries that would come in and we would hear stories of missionaries. And we heard about those that risk everything. And it was just part of the culture in, in, in church 20 years ago. Um, and so it does rub off if, if you're talking about, you know, influence on family members. Um, let's talk about the, the fruit. Though the, the blessing of some of the things you've seen, you know, I want to get to your experience of Christ, but just maybe talk about the, you know, the blessing of, of worshiping in a difficult place as opposed to here where it's, you know, big, big church, lots going on, feel, everybody feels free, not much risk, you know, everybody's, is it, have you noticed just in that aspect uh, what it's like to worship with believers in a difficult place? Talk about the differences there. Yeah, I'll, I'll speak. Uh from the two different places that we've served. So many of you know that the first year we were out, we were in Central Asia, and now we are in a European context. So in that first, in our first context in Central Asia, we could not worship with local national believers. They were all underground. Not many exist in that country, and those that do exist did definitely work, worship underground and without any expat workers like ourselves because of the danger that it would bring to them and to us. So we worshiped in that context just with other M workers. And I'll say that some really special worship happens in those situations because you're dependent upon each other. You become fast friends. You, um, you understand each other's struggles and burdens. And um, the worship there could be really, really sweet and really heartfelt because of just some of the difficult circumstances around us. Now in our current context in a European setting where worship is more free and we can worship with um, believers who've come out of the diaspora and worshiping with them, um, I just love to look at their faces and I love to see this this transformation on their face in, in terms of their worship. And I'm not saying that I don't see that here in the U.S. Of course I do as well. But there's something special about seeing new believers who've come out of these situations of darkness, and we've talked about this darkness, and they see um, this glorious light and this glorious freedom that they've been brought into and this kingdom of God that they've been brought into and experiencing worship with them. Something else I like to do is some of these old songs that we know from 
from our Christian faith and heritage and singing them in another language. So just learn to sing because he lives um, in, in Farsi, actually. And it's just so cool. You know this tune. We've all known it for so long. And then to sing it in Farsi is just one of the coolest things uh, to be able to experience. So I, I love worshiping um, in that context. For me, the worship experience has been very special and life-changing. I, I do belong to a small church um, where I serve and where I work and live, and um, it's a unique opportunity, again, in the context that we're in to join with believers, and it's something that I treasure doing on a weekly basis. I, I very rarely missed it because of the connection that happens. Uh, when you're in that and, and there is something extremely cool about singing worship songs that I sing um, in 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 my English church here at home singing those in Arabic um, it's a beautiful experience and I think also when I think about worship I think about how in where I live my life has become worship what I do where I work uh, when I'm in the market, it's opportunities to worship. And that's something that I never made the connection with before. I never had to, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, um, it didn't have to be intentional. But in the situation that I'm in, worship has become intentional. And every opportunity I can do that, um, I, do take, I do take advantage of. And then there's also the, the fruit of that, is that I have, I am not the same that I was when I left a year ago. I am, um, my, the roots of my Christian experience have gone deeper. They had to. Um, and that's something that happens when your life depends on it. And again, when I say life, I'm not talking about necessarily in terms of a safety perspective of being worried that something will happen physically. As we've said throughout this entire time, this is a reality of what we do and where we are. But when I say my life depends on it, meaning um, the whole my whole life as a as a spiritual believer, and that is something that um, I I wanted to come out um, with a, a deeper walk, and I did. So in many ways, I I have been the one that is the most blessed from this experience. I'm the one that has felt the most rewarded. Though yes, I have walked in, and I feel like that is also a byproduct of obedience. Um, there is this uncanny joy. That comes out of that comes out of me as I'm walking around where I live in the Middle East. Even though, again, it's a hard place, there is um, joy unspeakable and a joy that is supernatural, and it sustains you in ways that you never thought were possible. Yeah, and I think you know most folks can say they've done a, a mission project or if they've done some service project. Let's say, for example, I know some folks just recently went to Clarkston to do this dental clinic. Most people after an experience like that will say, I was blessed beyond measure. I, I received more than I gave and God did more in my life, I believe, than he did in those that we served. And that's the reality that I walk in every single day. God has changed me and transformed me and blessed me in a way that's I say is even more amazing than what he's done in the lives of those. Now, if you ask those people, they would say, no, God's changed me and blessed me and those things too. But that's, that's our own personal experience. And that's what God does in our lives when we are obedient. 
And it's it's so cool just to see what God does with our little bit of faith and our little bit of obedience and our little bit of walking in His in that direction and then what He does with it. And that I, I want to hear folks say, that's not me doing anything. I say, okay, me doing a little bit. No, God is doing it all. I'm just being obedient. I, I also want to say, though, this idea of worship. We've really loved being back in the States and being able to worship in English in our home fellowship. Because in our role as church planters, worship is work for us. And in we're doing it in a language that's not our, our, our first language. Sometimes we're doing it in a language that's really our third, having learned two languages in the last couple of years. So it's it's a struggle and it's work. It's it, we're blessed and we love it. And I just I just said all the, all of that's true. But being back here, even in the short time that we've been back, and walking into the fellowship center here and hearing worship in English and hearing solid teaching in English has been just this refreshing to our soul. It's what we've needed. It's what we've, we need to just soak up more of it. So I'm saying thank you <laughs> to the church here. Thank you to the worship team. Thank you to the teaching that's happened. And we're going to be here for a little bit longer. We're excited about being able to soak some of that up. I'm reminded of a, of a quote from Mother Teresa. And if you want to make people feel like they don't measure up, just mention Mother Teresa. But uh, she said her, her task was not to serve the poor. Her first task was to um, know Christ and to pray without ceasing. That was her calling. And it just so happened the place where that occurred was among the poor and, and where, where he had called her. But we get caught up on where we are and I know I do that even in, in paid ministry. Like, this is my ministry in Christ. I've called you to myself, and I'm, you know, follow me, you know, and, and I'll lead you. But, um, and I think when we get that right, when we have this, um, when we have our relationship with God and, and we know his heart, then these other things fall into place much more easily, yeah. much more easily. So why does God call us to dangerous places? Because he loves people in those places and he wants them at his table in his kingdom. Paul once asked the questions, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard about? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And bringing that good news of the Father's love and kingdom takes his children into dangerous places. The calling is there for all of us, but for those who stay behind, it's our task to support, encourage, pray for, listen to, and learn from those that go. Ours is not to question or try to convince them not to go. It's also not up to us to convince ourselves that God has not called us simply because we fear the danger. That same Paul who faced so much danger himself would say to his supporters in Philippi that it was good of them to share in his troubles. And what we learn from those that do go to dangerous places is that they consider it all worth it. Paul again wrote it this way in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? 
will trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I referenced two great resources on this subject. One book by Kate McCord is simply titled, Why God Calls Us to Dangerous Places. It's about her time in Afghanistan. The second is The Insanity of Obedience by Nick Ripkin and what he learned from persecuted believers. I highly recommend both of those as you consider your role in God's global mission. That will do it for this episode of the Mission Life Podcast. Thank you for listening. Check out jeffreams.com for this episode and others. Pass this episode on to someone you know who might be serving or thinking about serving in a dangerous place, or they might have a loved one serving there. Our next episode will feature Bruce, who has started two recovery homes and has some great advice for parents of children battling addiction. Now may you know the God who is at work all around you, and may you be willing to join him. Thank you for listening.